Welcome to Intentional Growth, a show that teaches you as a business owner and entrepreneur to view and run your company like a financial asset, which will allow you to enjoy work, create wealth, and make an impact. This mindset will help you focus on building a more valuable business and give you the choices to grow, acquire, reinvest, or exit and live the life you plan for, all with intention. And now here's your host, Ryan Tansom. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back. I'm very excited. We are going to be kicking off another mini series as we're wrapping up 2022. And I'm very excited because I, as I was trying to figure out, like, what do we want to be doing for this mini series? And, you know, especially as people are starting to think about 2023, a lot of stuff going on. I thought, you know what, let's do one on really like trying to think about annual planning, rethink about planning in general, because I think uh, there's a lot to unpack as far as what is good planning look like. And truly, like, what are we doing to grow the equity value of our company to make sure that there's the right goals and the right KPIs in our plan? So that way we're actually moving towards a direction that makes all of it worth it. I just I've heard so many people this last month or so saying, like, you know, I just don't know if it's worth it. And that's whether you got a 20 million dollar company, 50 million dollar company or 500 grand. We want to make running and owning a business worth it through creating wealth, enjoying work, and making an impact. And today what we're gonna be talking about is really the framework to think about uh, what are our goals and how are we gonna use our vehicle as a, our, use our business as a vehicle to truly make it worth it by creating wealth, enjoying work, and making an impact. And so when I think about, you know, when I, over the last year, I, I've been asking a lot of people in my speak uh, speaking events or, you know, podcasts or whatever it is, is like, hey, what's your goals? and so many times people give me the revenue amount or they, they talk about their BAG, they get their VTO, they get their rocks, they got the employee count, they got the product count. There's a lot of um, metrics people use to kind of judge success. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of validity, I think, behind the metrics and, you know, like the revenue count, employee counts, you know, different things like that. But I want to today in this episode and then this mini series talk about, are we making sure that everything that we're doing is, is actually growing the equity value of our company? And um, for people that are listening in, if you ended up, uh, my goal is to, because uh, I got a PowerPoint up. So if you, uh, we've got this on YouTube, it's in the show notes if you want to go up and watch the video. Otherwise, I'm going to hopefully do a pretty good job at uh, narrating around the PowerPoint slides that I'm showing, um, because these are the ones that I'm pulling actually from the Intentional Growth Bootcamp, as well as the presentations that I do to like Vistage, EO, other uh, conferences, et cetera. So when I, when, when I think about planning, I'm, I'm, I got a, a picture of a Google map here. And it's got point A plugged in. So it's sitting me in Minnesota. I'm like, okay, you know, if you think about Google Maps, it's like one of the most powerful tools on the planet. I mean, for crying out loud, it's gonna be, you know, navigating AI and uh and self-driving cars in the near future. But if you don't plug in point B, legitimately nothing happens. It's completely useless. Like we all need to have a goal. And I don't think that that is too unique for everybody because everybody's li listening to the podcast because we're trying to strive towards something. However, when I'm up at the presentation or I'm talking to someone like, what's your goals? And you know, and a lot of entrepreneurs are like, oh, I want to go from 10 million to 20 million or 50 million to 100 million. And we're, people are talking about revenue or I want to hit the million dollar revenue mark or the $5 million revenue mark, which I get it. And like, and I think that there's, you know, a lot to be said about the revenue dollar amounts as a goal. However, um, when I think about how that plugs into point B, so what I've now got up is I've got another page of a map saying, okay, if I want to go from Minnesota to Florida and it's zigzagging all across the U.S. here, and if revenue is my 
end goal and my point B, we have the uh, the potential be, to be extremely distracted by things and projects and ideas, have zero um, uh, zero progress or zero um, creativeness, if that's even a word. <laughs> they're not helping us get us closer to our goal. They're actually distracting us. And so like when I think about uh, this this map here, you could say, okay, should I launch a new product or service this year? Should I give up equity to a key executive? Should I acquire this competitor that keeps, you know, uh, stumbling into me uh, at our, you know, at deals or at conferences? Should I take on an investor? All of these decisions have the ability to completely distract us or take us completely off course from making, running and owning a business worth it. And so this is, again, if you're driving by revenue, and I love this story, Simon Sinek in his book, Infinite Game, talks about um, when we talk about goal setting, people are like, you know, generally they talk about the means of getting there. So if I said, hey, you know, everybody, what, what, are, you, what are your goals? And someone says 25 million in revenue. First of all, I go, who gives a shit? I had a $20 million business that with my dad that we lost, you know, 900 some thousand dollars in 09 and it was worth nothing. So like, great, you have a $20 million business, but so what? And the amount of people I've had on my podcast were, um, was it Norm Brodsky, I think it was. Um, he ended up scaling up a company to a hundred million dollars and went bankrupt or almost bankrupt. And then he turned around and then built a $25 million business in revenue with 10 million in EBITDA. So which one would you rather have? So when I think about what is the target goal that we should be striving for and kind of reframing this to make sure that we have a way to calibrate our ideas is a target equity valuation. And so this next slide that I'm showing, um, is, all right, uh, the next slide that I'm showing is, if you have enough time, energy, and capital, you can do whatever you want. I mean, if there's no specific time constraint or capital constraint or energy constraint, it's like do whatever forever. You know, we could, but the thing is we all have constraints. So what do we need to do in order to actually determine what our goals are is put those constraints in. So if we said, okay, we need a $12 million equity valued company in 2030. Now we have our constraints. So now I've got Google Maps up again. And we say, okay, if, and I've got it uh, going from Minnesota to Florida, is if we need the $12 million equity valuation in 2030, we can actually reverse engineer all three financial statements. Again, if you wanted to dive further into the three financial statements, because I'm going to keep flying by on some of this material to keep us going, is go check out some of the podcasts that I did about how to view your company as a financial asset. I'm going to talk about the three financial statements and the three targets, um, as well as uh, some intrinsic valuation ones. There's gonna, I'll put the links in the podcast. But if the target equity valuation is $12 million in 2030, every decision we make in the business should help us get there. So if you want to launch a new product or service, it needs to be getting us closer to that $12 million equity value business in 2030. If we wanted to do a potential acquisition, honestly, who cares what they've got it listed for uh, on the brokerage side or what they want to sell it for? Obviously, if they were listening to this podcast, they would know how to handle that uh, situation themselves. But if you're looking at acquiring a company, only acquire a company that's going to increase the value of your company and your chances of getting to that $12 million equity valued company faster or bigger. And if you wanted to give up equity to a key, uh, key employee or if it was for an investor or whatever, it needs to be getting you who is listening to this podcast closer to your $12 million equity valued company in 2013. So if you needed to give up equity, the company, let's say you gave up $3 million in equity, that the, the key employee wanted $3 million in equity, the company now needs to be worth $15 million 
in equity in 2030 for it to be worth it for you. So it, it all starts with you and understanding what is the financial reward that's necessary for you to get there. And then the next slide that I've got up here is when I think about all the decisions that come at us, especially when we're doing annual planning or we're sitting down in our you know, L10s, executive meetings, whatever they are, there's a shitload of stuff flying at us. We got gross profit issues, maybe gross profit slippage. We got labor issues. We got interest rate issues. We got supply chain issues. We got inventory. You know, you got different uh, I mean, line of credit. You got estate planning. You got your own, uh, own distributions that you need to be taking out. Tax planning. There's a lot of stuff. And when we don't have a framework to think about all this stuff, it's kind of like, what do we do first? And as we continue, like, I just want to make sure before I pull up this next slide and next concept is the definition that we at Arcona and I have about lifestyle business is someone, and I don't care what the revenue is. If you have a lifestyle business, or you have a lifestyle business, if you are sucking all of the cash out of the company through salaries, perks, and distributions, and you're solving for annual income or for that K-1 without understanding how that's impacting your ability to fund your growth plan on the way to getting equity valuation you want at a point in time. So again, I'm going to say that again. If you're sucking all the cash out, knowing no idea how that impacts your ability to fund the growth plan that you need to the equity valuation for your asset, you're flying blind because you could be pulling money out for buying boats, cars, or whatever, or honestly, just nothing to save, not knowing whether you needed that six to 12 months from now to fund your growth plan. So as I go to the next slide here, um, I don't have the animations up, so people are watching just, uh, and people are listening, you can hear me think through this. So there's uh, an X and a Y axis, and uh, the one going up is cash flow, and the one going horizontal is, is time. And the goal is, if you think about the top right corner, is the equity valuation target that you want in a point in time. That is the constraint. And this kind of goes into the whole concept of, I don't care if you sell it at that point in time, create the assets so you have the choices to do an ESAP, private equity, you could roll some equity if you wanted to do a private equity. You could do more warrants with an ESOP. You could gift it to your kids uh, through estate planning. I don't care. You have the choices, but the constraints need to be identified in order for us to back into a plan. Otherwise, we cannot at all. So the first thing starts with how are you going to fund that growth plan? And then how, after we understand how you're going to fund that growth plan, what do you need for a salary that makes this worth it? 26.2% of Business owners in America don't pay themselves a salary. I just saw that article in the Wall Street Journal or MSNBC or something like that. I don't know where it was, but that is crazy. And it unfortunately is not shocking to me, but we need, again, you've heard me talk about we have a job that we get a salary for and then we have an asset that we have equity in. And so we have to, like, you wouldn't, I mean, you, you got to take a salary, make this worth it. And then so you, again, we got to fund the growth plan to hit that equity valuation target in the top right-hand corner. We have to take a salary that continues to hopefully go up just a little bit. We got to pay our taxes. No more taking out loans to pay taxes or having them be a surprise. Your CPA should, or whoever, your CFO should be doing, you know, uh, forecasting tax planning. And then you've got the ability to then say, how much in distributions am I going to take along the way? Again, just to say it again is target equity valuation, top right-hand corner. Growth capital funds that. Then we have to, you know, make sure we understand our salary. We're paying our taxes, and then what is our expectations for distributions? These are the constraints. Because, for example, someone might say, "Okay, I'm gonna, you know, I want that ten million dollar or twelve million dollar equity valuation in 2030." 
But what if it takes every dollar of capital that you, or every dollar of profit that you bring in to reinvest to get there and you have no availability of the correct, I'm assuming you're taking salary, the correct distributions that you want. But if you said, hey, I want 100 grand of distributions every year on top of my $150,000 salary, you might not be able to fund the growth plan that you want. But that's not that big of a deal if you understand the trade-offs and you say, hey, instead of $12 million equity valuation in 2030, it might be 10. Or I'm willing to go out to 2032. I don't care, honestly, at all. Just have a baseline of reality of like, these are the trade-offs and we have to understand salary distributions and taxes and the, the working capital, the growth capital to get there. And then are we on track or off track? That's truly the framework I want everybody to start thinking about. Then we can start doing our annual planning. If you as the owner do not have this clearly written out, your executive team, your vendors, your EOS implementer, everybody's guessing because revenue does not judge whether it's worth it or not. So in order for it to be worth it, we have to understand what is our target equity valuation and the income we want along the way. And I put in this next slide is like, okay, what does this all mean and why am I talking about this? Because after now 125 interviews of people, I'm me asking them what the intentional growth or what intentional means, taking a taking purposeful action towards a clearly identified outcome. Hopefully my, uh, my, my banter just now, can I banter by myself? My monologue just now is helping you understand that like the clearly identified outcome is that target equity valuation, the income you want along the way and how you want your role as a leader to evolve along the way as you continue to make more cash flow and have a higher valuation. And the whole point is the three circles in this Venn diagram of Create wealth, enjoy work, and make an impact. And living in the middle of that is in, it's, it's enjoyable. It's fun. And I want this to be fun. I know it's going to be hard, but fun. To, and then you're going to get rewarded along the way. So then the next slide that I've got up here is clarity begins with a clear picture. And I think about like the typical revenue-based eggs and goal setting. It's like, it, it's like trying to build a puzzle without the picture and the puzzle piece is upside down. You might get there, but it's going to be really frustrating extremely uh, time-consuming, ineffective, and you might give up versus like the when you look at the puzzle picture, you flip all the pieces upside down, you put the framework in, and then you execute like hell. That's what I want people to do is this. Intentional growth should be viewed as the inputs that go into like an EOS, VTO, or whatever system that you're using. And the, the five principles of intentional growth the, the, they are that lens that help with that. So again, the first one is your vision. Second one is your financial targets. The third one is your exit options. Fourth one is your, is growing value. And the fifth one is your team of advisors. And the purpose of these three, or of these five principles is to have three outcomes to help you get clear on what you want from the business and why. The second one is to clarify at a target equity valuation at a point in time and the desired income you want along the way. And the third one is to clarify your leadership role and how you want it to evolve along the way. Example is, right now I'm the jack of all trades and I want to hire a COO in September of next year. I, that, that's identifying that I can't be the visionary yet or I can't be the CEO yet, but I now know that if I execute certain things, I will be able to offload certain roles and lean into the role and the income and the equity growth that I want along the way. And so as I'm going to kind of start Shifting into a little bit more uh, the weeds and the depth now. And I'm going to, again, I'm pulling from principle two primarily of the financial targets as well as uh, grow value, the fourth principle from the boot camp and other material. So, again, 
um, I just wanted to help people really start to think about their business and all this stuff in the right way. And the first part is view the company as a financial asset, not just a job. And what we're going to do is, is through the, how do we do that is through the three financial targets in principle too. There, and again, we have a whole podcast mini series on this. You can go back and check it out. We got it in the links. The first one is your target annual income. We need to identify that. What do you need in income through salary and distributions every year to make it worth it? The second one is your net worth outside the business. That is going to impact your choices because if you have $10 million liquid in a portfolio and you don't need the sale of your company to make ends meet, now you have different choices. So the net worth will just impact your choices. And then the third one is the value of the business. And these help us understand how the business fits into our, our long-term plan. Okay, so um, now that we're going to be getting into this, I, I, I suggest that you take maybe pause the, pause the podcast or just start thinking about this. So I've got up on this slide here is over 23, 2024, 2025, 26, and 27. What is the target salary you want each year? If there's a bonus structure that you have, if you're a key executive or, or you have a, you know, a smaller percentage of the company, what is the bonus that you might need or want over the next five years? And then the third one is what is your target distributions? To, we're trying to get to that first annual or the first financial target is what is the income you want along the way? So now we're going to be, uh, again, I'm flying by through some of this stuff because I want to then, you know, you can go back and listen to these, some of these other podcasts or God forbid you, you sign up for the training. Um, uh, I'll joke aside. So, so now what we're going to be doing is talking about the value of the business and how to think about that. So then we can, again, I want to wrap up this episode with what should you be putting on your VTO and how are we actually going to be you know, hitting the, the rubber and the road together to get that traction. So there's a lot of different ways to calculate the value of the business. And there's a lot of confusing terms out there of word of, you know, word of mouth, there's market comparables, you got multiples of cash flow and EBITDA, the income method, the discounted cash flow, asset value, the book value, the net worth of the company, multiples of revenue. Uh, I mean, all these different things. However, again, if you go back to um, demystifying business valuation mini series, we talk about the intrinsic financial value versus the strategic transaction value. And the reason I like this is a framework to thinking about valuations. So, you know, all that jargon is, it is what it is. It doesn't do us a lot of good. But when we think about our business as an asset, we can start thinking about it in practical ways by understanding this concept. Again, we did a whole podcast mini series on this, but the intrinsic financial value is the value of a business as it stands today, as you own it, based on the risk of the cash flow. So, Truly, you don't have to sell the business to understand what it's worth. The whole industry of private equity gets this. ESOPs do valuations every single year. So you can know the value of your business as it stands today without you selling it. So again, get that narrative out of your head. And that intrinsic financial value is compared against the strategic transaction value, which is when a buyer and a seller come together and there's a purpose of the deal. So the two examples I love to give is the top one, it could be a premium on the on the purchase of your company because the buyer has a strategic reason to buy your IP, to buy your people, your distribution channels, whatever it might be, where they can afford to pay a premium because of the return that they're going to get and the timeline that they're going to get. Then the opposite of that would be is someone that is discounting their company because they might say, you know what, I don't need the value of the company for my net worth but I'm going to gift it to my kids through estate planning. So you actually can take the IRS uh, tax code. I don't remember which one it is, but for the lack of liquidity and lack of control, I think it's up to 35%. You can discount the company. 
and then you can gift it to the kids via state planning. My point is both of those examples started at the intrinsic financial value and then something happened. But until you go to some transaction, you can measure and monitor the intrinsic financial value of the company based on the normalized EBITDA and a multiple. And I'm going to get there in a second. Um, but first, I'm going to cover a, a quick concept. Again, the, again, there's many series on this, but the enterprise value, equity value, net proceeds are three, another uh, three more uh, words I would like people to think about because when we think about a value of a company, so if you were to take the normalized EBITDA, the cash flow, and times it by the multiple, the years of cash flow someone's willing to give you, that equals the enterprise value. So um, what I've got here on, up on the screen is uh, three different little bars that kind of show the uh, essentially the value to you as what you would get. So the enterprise value is the purchase price. It's the transaction price. It's what goes on the, the, the documents. Then there's equity value. And equity value is after net debt. That's after you use, if you sold, you get to keep your cash and pay off your debt. So that gets you to equity value. And that's what I've been talking a lot about, which what is the target equity valuation you want at a point in time. But for really uh, in-depth planning purposes for yourself, you need to be thinking about what is the uh, what is the net proceeds that you need. Sorry, I'm just moving my picture all over the place. So the net debt, then the taxes, then get you to net proceeds. So on that equity value, you would still have to pay your taxes, which is important. So these are things that you can know. So you can project out the net debt, your cash and your debt. If you project out your three financial statements, which I'm going to get into in a little bit, then you can put some assumption in there and say, hey, what would my taxes be? I mean, for crying out loud, just put 30% or 25% for planning purposes. And you can say, hey, I have a rough idea of what the net proceeds of my company would be if I sold it in three years without selling it. Wouldn't that be nice to know? So then the the three main levers that I love talking about uh, come from when I did a, a panel um, with a private equity firm and uh, we were talking and he goes, Ryan, it's not that complicated what our business does in our industry. We make a shitload of money by buying a company, increasing the normalized EBITDA, increasing the multiple and paying down debt. If I hit all three of those levers at the same time, our net proceeds and internal rate of return go through the roof. You can do that too while you own your company. Increase the normalized EBITDA, so increasing the cash flow dollar amount, increasing the multiple by de-risking the company, and then paying down any debt. And I'm not saying be debt adverse, but just knowing that you can pay down debt and that is uh, directly correlated to how much it goes into your, uh, your bank account and the net proceeds. These are the measures that we need to be thinking about as we're doing our planning instead of just the $20 million in revenue or whatever it is. You ever found yourself in your office after an executive meeting and you're sitting there going, I have huge decisions to make, whether it's hiring that next key employee, buying that next piece of machinery, buying a building, launching a location or product or whatever it might be. And you're sitting there going, is this the right decision? And then you think back about the original vision you had when you started the business or the vision you have right now that you know is possible in the marketplace. And you sit there and go, how do you know and how do I know that what I'm doing is the right thing when realistically you have the option just take all the money home and solve for annual cash flow and essentially just have a job that's kicking out a lot of cash? The reason that you would do all those things is because you want to grow a company that's worth a bunch of money that gives you the freedom of choices to do what you want long term, whether that's take a back seat and be a passive investor, whether that's sell part of it or some of it. 
essentially just have as many choices as you want. But what we find is that most times entrepreneurs and business owners are solving for annual cash flow because they don't know how to measure and monitor the value of the business and where they are today and how what they're investing and doing is growing a more valuable business and how to measure that into the future. And I had experienced the exact same thing. I ran a family business that was doing 20 million in revenue, 100 and some employees. And my dad and I had this constant conversation back and forth about what we should be doing and where we should be going, but we never really knew whether what we were spending our time and money on was making us progress towards that eventual goal of having a valuation that we wanted that gave us the choices. So then you have to sit there and go, maybe I should just take the money home or I should just hope and pray. That is exactly why we created this financial assessment because if you organize your financials in a certain way and we have this financial foundation with four components, you take this assessment, it's 22 questions, you don't need your financials and at the end result of it, there's a results page where Pat, my partner and I walk through five videos to show you a case study of what good looks like and how to actually project out the future value of the company and how you can make the decision's clear today to say, if I do these things, what's the impact on cash flow today, my ability to fund my growth, take the distributions, pay for taxes, all while staying in line, progressing towards the valuation that I want. So go take the assessment below and I hope you enjoy. I'm going to unpack normalized EBITDA just a real quick, as well as the multiples. And then I want to talk about um, the financials and how the financials can be the lens that is, I think the financials are the lens that's missing when people are doing their annual plan, like the VTO and the financial lens and the roadmap to that equity valuation. So as we get into just normalized EBITDA, uh, again, as we think about what is the narrative we're telling ourselves about annual planning, you know, people are, if you're projecting out your revenue, you know, like I've been saying, and then a lot of people project out their net income. So like, oh, this is what we're marching towards. You know, we, we normalized EBITDA is what the gauge is. I mean, there's two numbers that we get that we that are multiplied to get to an enterprise value, and that's normalized EBITDA and then the multiple. So with normalized EBITDA, you know, people say like, "Oh, I didn't do that well" because they're looking at their net income. I didn't do that well last month. Well, it's like, and I've got an example up here. Like, if it's seven fifty, but then you you got to uh, you got to get to EBITDA, so there's interest, depreciation, amortization. Let's say you get up to eight fifty. So now you have eight hundred fifty thousand dollars instead of uh, instead of the seven fifty. But then if you normalize every month the one time expenses that are the perks, you know any owners perks, any rent normalization. If you put fifty grand into a website, if you rolled out an ERP system for two hundred grand, if you you know hired a recruiter and had a recruiting expense, I don't care. Those are investments in the business, and then you pull those out and you look at the normalized EBITDA. So every month. And every year we should be forecasting out the normalized EBITDA. Because first of all, that's forcing us to identify what are the investments that we're going to have? What are the perks that are going to suck up cash? And then how are we going to reinvest that, that cash flow to grow the value of the company? So normalized EBITDA, because you could have a lower net income because you invested a month, but your normalized EBITDA could be higher. So let's focus on the, the damn numbers that matter instead of just looking at top line revenue. So then we move on to multiples. So we have normalized EBITDA that we should be measuring and monitoring every single month and projecting that out using the income statement after we've uh, built up the income statement. Then we can say, okay, well, we need to make sure, I'm just gonna make up some idea ideas here for a second. So let, let's say let's say we have a normalized EBITDA of a million, well, 
I'm just gonna do some basic stuff just to highlight the concept here. So if we had a million dollars in cash flow, I'm in Minnesota. So let, let's say you take 300, 350 grand in taxes out. Let's say the owner says, okay, I wanna invest the next few, you know, 100, 100, 200 grand. So now we have a half a million dollars left after taxes and distributions to reinvest. Where are we going to reinvest that? And make sure that it's worth it. So if it is an ERP system or a recruiter or this or that or an acquisition, I don't care. Make sure that it's getting you closer to that target equity valuation at a point in time and making sure that your cash flow that you want through salaries, distributions, and also your taxes are also taken into consideration so that we, you are allocating the right amount of money and capital to the right projects for the right return. I don't know, like, why doesn't everybody think about this stuff? And again, if you're already doing that, perhaps you, I just see that generally people are just kind of making stuff up. So um, with the multiples, they're driven from something called the weighted average cost of capital. I just wanted to give a, a quick flyby on this. Again, we could go back, you can go back and listen to some of the other episodes of the training. But the a multiple in just the simplest terms is the number of years of cash flow, normalized EBITDA, a buyer is willing to pay for a company. And this is based on the risk of the cash flow. So for example, if someone's willing to give you three times a million dollars in normalized EBITDA, they're willing to give you three years of cash flow based on the risk of the machine that you built. If someone's willing to give someone a five multiple instead, they're willing to say, hey, you know what? I'm actually more confident in this business because it's sustainable, predictable, transferable cash flow. Here, here's five years of cash flow because of how much you've de-risked the company. So what we want to be doing is investing in projects that de-risk the company so we can increase that multiple. So what I've got up here is a, a picture of um, two houses. Um, the one on the left is like beautiful. It's like completely pristine. It's walking ready. And the one on the, rest, on, the, on the right, and by the way, these two houses are exactly the same houses. So same square footage, same amount of bedrooms, same amount of baths. It's truly the same picture. But the one on the right is completely dilapidated be, before it was actually remodeled. So the one on the left goes for 500 grand. The one on the right goes for 250. The one on the right is half the price because it's not walking ready. There are definite buyers for that, that people want to flip houses. They want to go in there. They got the resources. They know exactly what's going to do to pop that value. Well, what does this have to do with anything with business and companies as an asset? The one on the left that's 500 grand that's walking ready has sustainable, predictable, transferable cash flow. So as I go to the next slide here, what I am showing is there are two pictures of trailing 12 months of normalized EBITDA. So essentially just a graph from the left to the right going up. So the one on the left is in both of these graphs have a normalized EBITDA of about $1.2 million. Well, the one on the left is slowly growing from the left uh, bottom left-hand corner of the graph to the right-hand corner, and it looks awesome. Like if I had that investment, that's exactly what I wanted to do is go in a sustainable, predictable, transferable way. The one, the, the graph on the right that also reflects the dilapidated house is like an EKG. It's all over the place. Same normalized EBITDA though. So the one on the right is not sustainable, predictable, and transferable. So what this means is the one on the left, it's also correlates to that house that's walking ready, is going to get a higher multiple, but even though it's got the same normalized EBITDA. And I'm pulling these from our case studies from the bootcamp. Uh, so the one on the left is Summit Manufacturing. The one on the right is Jordan Tool and Die. And Summit Manufacturing goes for legitimately twice the value and because of the multiple. And it's just sustainable, predictable, and transferable, even though it's the same revenue, same industry, same EBITDA. 
So as I continue here, the goal is to de-risk that cash flow. There's, I'm debating right now whether I unpack how a multiple is created by the weighted average cost of capital. I don't think I want to do that. Um, long story short is inside the weighted average cost of capital, which is essentially just the risk profile. The, uh, there's two components, the cost of equity and the cost of debt. But I'm, I'm looking at this picture right now and it's called the buildup. Um, all right, so I'm going to do this. So <laughs> if you've already been sick of me listen, uh, listening to me talk, you, you can go ahead and tune it out if you want. But this is uh, some solid meat on this bone. So inside that multiple, what a multiple is, is one divided by the weighted average cost of capital, which I'm just going to be very simple here and say like the, the, way, the whack percentage is kind of like a cap rate in a real estate uh, investment. So the higher the cap rate, the more risky the asset is and the less the value of the real estate is. So if you had a strip mall that you wanted to invest in and the strip mall had no anchor tenant, no, no leases uh, that were locked in and it was just kind of run down, the value of that real estate is not going to be very high. And you as an investor would want high return, call it 15, 20%. But if you want to invest in Walgreens or CVS, it's on the corner of a city, uh, city block and it's got a tenured anchor tenant that's really rock solid. The value of that real estate is going to be huge and then the cap rate might be 5%. And just for basic, basic concepts, anybody might be able to correct me on some of my math there, but um, hopefully the, the, the concept made sense. How that relates to multiples and weighted average cost of capital is that with the WAC, it, it, there's something called the buildup method to get to the cost of equity. So what, they, what people do, and these are percentages. So someone says, okay, well, if I had a million dollars, how would I invest it in order to get the return that I wanted? Well, in... In the build-up methodology, you'd say, well, I, I could invest it in premium, in, in, uh, excuse me, I could invest the million dollars into treasuries. And in this example, it's 2.7%, whatever it is right now. Technically, it's risk-free. <laughs> we'll uh, refrain from many jokes. Then the 2.7, then you say, okay, well, what's additional risk? The additional risk is I want to maybe invest in, in the stock market. Well, that's more risky than the treasuries. As an investor, I want a higher return for the risk I'm taking. So you would take the 2.7 and add the 6.9, which is also published. Then you say, okay, well, what if I wanted to invest in a privately held company? Well, it's not liquid because I, well, I'm, I can't just trade it in the morning. So I want more risk. I want a higher return for the risk I'm taking. So this is a published no, uh, published figure and it's 5.6. So we take 2.7 plus 6.9 plus 5.6 get, is getting us to the level of return that we need for the risk that we're taking. Then there's this thing called company specific risk, which can range from like two to like 30. Essentially, is how risky is this company specifically? And you could compare two e-commerce companies, two professional services companies, two like manufacturing companies, same concept. How well did they build their company? And then I'm going to apply a risk to it, a risk percentage to it. When private equity firms are doing their due diligence or investment banks are or an SBA uh, loan and underwriters, they're looking at this company specific risk saying like, is this company going to be able to afford to pay off this uh, this loan? And how much do we believe that this cash flow will be there down the road? So point of this is you get this percentage. So let's say, for example, you built this whole thing up and you got to 20% weighted average cost of capital. I'm not going to discuss the debt right now as the component, but just to highlight the, the, the focal point here, which is the company specific risk is what's in everybody's control. 
and you have absolute control to make sure that your projects that you're planning on de-risking that cash flow by de-risking the company specific risk by investing in areas like that ERP and the website, executive teams, you know, standard operating procedures, HR, all these things that you can invest in, de-risk your company and increase the multiple. Because if you took one divided by 20, that would be five. So that would be a five multiple. And the, what, what we use in the example of our case studies is that would be the summit. So let's say summit was one divided by 20. That's a five multiple. But if you said someone else had a 28.5% uh, weighted average cost of capital, one divided by that is 3.5. And it's because the company specific risk was higher. It's same size revenue, same industry, same EBITDA. One goes for double because of how risky one's operations are. So as I'm just getting this all started, my whole point is we as entrepreneurs have a direct core, direct influence on what projects we're putting our money into that are funding the company, de-risking that cash flow while we're growing towards our equity valuation target. I want everybody's dollars and energy and time to go into the things that get them closer to their goal so they have the choices that they want. And so as we think about how do you de-risk the company, they're in principle four, this is where we talk about the eight functional areas, which was uh, invented by my dear friend, Ken Sanginario, who created the value opportunity profile. And I don't know, Ken's awesome. He's a badass. He's been on the show multiple times. He's got more credentials than I can shake a stick at. And his deal is he figured out the system on how to identify and prioritize the areas in the business that are going to de-risk the company and grow that multiple. So when you think about um, what this means as your annual planning, if you're sitting down with a VTO or if you're sitting down with, uh, you know, your annual or your executives, you're like, what are we going to work on next year? This is a lens and a process of saying, how do we figure out and choose what we're going to work on? So Ken's got eight functional areas, uh, planning, like think strategic planning, leadership, sales, marketing, people, ops, finance, and legal. Each of these functional areas, you could have a lemonade stand or you could be Apple all have these eight functional areas, regardless of what industry you have or what size. And so they need to be in balance in order to de-risk the company. And then you want to work on all of them at the same time. So like the example I give is my dad and I, I mean, we were sale, like a sales company. So every extra dollar went into sales. We hated finance and ops. So we would, we would uh, be very, um, we would avoid that stuff like the plague because we're spending money to do things that we don't like that create headaches. But I believe when you think about the investment, like the normalized EBITDA, you say, okay, well, I invested in something. Yeah, my net income is lower. Swipe, you know, swipe that concept out of your mind. You say, okay, well, the normalized EBITDA is higher. Invested in the company. I put some uh, systems and processes in place. I de-risked it. I put the money where it should and I increased the multiple slightly. So the goal is to increase your EBITDA in cash flow as well as de-risking it at the same time through the projects that you're putting in place. So. My challenge for everybody as I'm about ready to wrap up here is um, the I truly would just believe that the financials and the lens of the finances tied tying your project and your annual planning to that equity target is absolutely crucial and missing. So in the eight functional areas, when I think about finance, most people don't even know what to work on because they haven't had a clear picture of where they're at and where they're going. And I always say that the story of the business is told through the financials. And I've never met an entrepreneur that can't tell one hell of a story of where they've been, where they are, and where they're going 
And my follow-up question is prove it, truly prove it. And the way you prove it is through the financials. And if you can say, here's where I've been, look at the trailing 12 months, here's the story, here's what's happening, here's why we normalize things. By the way, here's our future 12 month plan and our five-year plan. You know, we've got all three financial statements that are tied together and also tied to that long-term plan. Oh, and by the way, here's what happened. You can truly just prove it. And it's by breaking out the financials in the right way. And the financials, the three financial statements need to be uh, put together. And through the financials in that lens, you can truly see as you tie your income statement, your balance sheet, and your cash flow statement to that target equity valuation, you can break it all the way down to say, okay, now this month, what do we need to do in order to accomplish everything that we're going towards to target that uh, long-term goal. So as I'm wrapping up here, what I would really, really encourage everybody to do is say like, what are the financial implications of our ideas? So the, the, there's a whole conversation, a whole mini series we did about, uh, on, on, like on the C Pat and I did one on the CFO as well as like annual budgeting and stuff. And the, the goal is with annual budgeting, say the ground up annual budgeting is next year, what are we gonna do month by month by month and the income statement first. So like, what are we going to do in sales per GL code, per product and service, the cost of goods tied to those, those revenue targets. And then we build out the SGNA. So we now have our income statement with the normalized EBITDA on it as well. And then your CFO should be able to tie up your bank, uh, your balance sheet and your cash flow statement together. And then you have your ground up budget all for next year of 2023. Those KPIs for your financials should then roll on top of your VTO. So every single employee, executive and employee knows exactly what KPIs that they're marching towards, exactly how that ties to the long-term growth, equity growth of the company that is going to make it worth it for you, the owner. And then everybody's in the same direction. This is where the great game of business open book management to a certain extent really benefit if the target goal is clearly identified. So what I did as a, as, as a wrap up here is I put um, a link to the intentional growth vision board in the podcast and show notes which is what do you want from the business, your vision? I got these financial targets that I've been talking about that are clearly laid out in one of the sections. And then there's two other sections about the exit options and the value growth score of like, hey, what do you what do you wanna think about as an exit down the road? But then also how are you working on things today that are truly gonna move the needle for you uh, when you want to eventually potentially have the options of monetizing your asset? Sorry for being so long-winded. I just have got such a passion behind making sure that everybody don't, everybody wants, I want, let me restate that. I want to make sure that everybody gets rewarded for the hard work that they're doing for running and owning a company. And it, the way to do that is to focus on the right things so you don't wake up in 2024 going, my God, all of 2023 wasn't worth it. Or you weren't sure whether it was worth it or not. I want to put that clarity and that confidence into you to say, okay, here are your ideas roll those into the financials, put those on the VTO and know that the projects that you're working on are going to get you closer to that goal. Dis distribute the KPIs and the scorecard to the right people so that way you get your right outcome. Anyways, all right, so I'm wrapping up. I'm done, no, no conclusion. Otherwise, go check out the Intentional Growth Training. You know where that is. Um, what I would say that is the next couple episodes, I've got Patrick Donahue on the book or on, on uh, the podcast where he wrote a book called Breakout Valuations where we talk about a lot of this in more depth, like the financials and how that helps people look, focus on the right things. Um, I've also got uh, uh, Jeff Campbell on the uh, show. We're gonna be talking about how to tie your marketing KPI and spend to your actual normalized EBITDAs to make sure your client acquisition costs and your processes are actually growing value. 
I've got uh, Chris Ronzi on the show. We're going to be talking about how SOPs and his uh, pr uh, product called Trainual actually can help get your business out of your brain to make it more sustainable, predictable, and transferable. So we got a lot of people that are going to be talking on the show about how to use these concepts to then de-risk your company to grow the equity value. Thanks everybody for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this. Hope this was uh, not too much. You might have to actually slow this podcast down, but uh, I really just wanted to get it all out there so we can uh, hit the ground running in 2023. See everybody.